पार्थय प्रतिबोधितागवता नारायणेन स्वयं व्यासेन ग्रथितांपुराणमुनिना मध्ये महाभारत अद्वैतामृतवर्षिणी भगवती अष्टादशाध्यायिनी गीते भगवदेषिणी यं ब्रह्म वरुणेन्द्रुद्रमुद स्तुन्वती दिव्यस्तव वेद सांगपदक्रमोपनिषद ध्यानावस्थितगतेन मनसा पश्योगिन यन्न विदुस्सुरासुरगण देवाय तस्म नम शंकराचार्य द स्टार्स द इंट्रोडक्शन भगवदगीता with the introduction of the idea of the incarnation incarnation of the lord said sa bhagwan sushtvaidam jagat that lord having created this world it starts with lord see the introduction how vedantins begin with god acceptance of god this is very important many people believe that vedanta does not accept god you know but no uh, it start the whole discussion starts with god who having created this universe therefore we accept the creator the universe as when we can see is a creation which is an assembly of many components all of them functioning in harmony with one another and whenever you find an assembly made up of number of components serving a certain purpose and functioning in in harmony or in an order then we know that it is a creation like a clock is a creation because clock is an assembly made up of a number of components all of them assembled and functioning for a useful serving a useful purpose an assembly that serves a useful purpose must be put together by some intelligent entity and universe also is such it is an assembly consisting of countless different components all of them functioning in harmony with one another and each one of them serving a useful purpose whatever there is in the creation has always a place nothing is redundant or nothing is out of place except human being is capable of upsetting the the disturbance and the this, the order in the creation that is why if human were not created there would be no need for incarnation because the way the rest of the universe is set in motion everything functions according to the nature which is in harmony with the creation the animals and the plants and the birds insects all of them functioning in such a manner that a natural ecological balance is maintained human being is only one who has the freedom to upset that balance <coughs> no one else has that freedom meaning no one can transgress their nature a dog will always a dog a cat is always a cat a mango tree always a mango tree you can always rely upon that you can predict its behavior 
You can predict how a mango tree will function next season or how a dog will respond when you throw a ball or how a cat will respond when it sees a rat. There is a predictable behavior. The whole universe is predictable. That's the reason why we have science, that you can predict. The only thing that is unpredictable is human being because he has a freedom to be unpredictable. He has a freedom to make his own choice. And so, he has a freedom, what we call the free will. And on account of the free will, as we said yesterday, that free will can be used or it can be abused. And that potential is there in the human being. <coughs> and therefore, Lord having, as I said, the universe as created is in harmony. And when we look at the universe that is in harmony, then uh, it just makes sense to accept that there must be a creator. That without a deliberate, intelligent uh, creation, this universe could not have come into being. It cannot be an accident. It could not have just come into being. And therefore, yes, we accept God who is the creator of the universe. And we accept God who is the ordainer or the sustainer of the universe. <coughs> And how does it sustain? Through these agencies, through the various cosmic forces, the universe is sustained. And to sustain the human race also, as we said yesterday, Lord as though created these prajapatis, or these masters or the rulers of the people. And these rulers, two kinds, one is for the pravritti marga, for the path of activity, other is nivritti marga, for the path of renunciation, they were to, to uh, leaders. And that is how the order in the society would be maintained. And there was a, an arrangement, there was an organization in the society also, an order in the society, that the human beings were divided into what we call the different castes and uh, like Brahmana, Kshatriya, depending upon the disposition of their minds. And according to the disposition and the uh, competence and preparedness of a person, a task was assigned to that person, in keeping with the aptitude and the ability, the skills, etc. <coughs> and that is how every individual would find a function which is, which is in keeping with it, his disposition, and that is how the individual also would grow and the society also would grow. This was the, the, uh, the reason behind the organization or the arrangement based on what we call the caste system. <coughs> And then also the life of a human being was divided into stages. That human being advances in, generally speaking, four stages. The first stage is the stage of the student. Second is the stage of the householder. Third is the stage of retirement. And fourth is the stage of renunciation. If the human life is taken to be hundred years roughly, then each stage will occupy roughly one-fourth. And so tentatively it was said, first twenty-five years, Brahmacharya, meaning the life uh, committed to the pursuit of knowledge. Second twenty-five years, Grihastha, meaning the life of a householder. Third twenty-five years, Vanaprastha. The custom was that now, the husband and wife, the parents, who have completed their grihastha meaning the householder stage of life, would retire into forest. 
leave all the uh, responsibility to the son. Responsibility of performing all the Vedic rituals as well as all the household and worldly responsibilities were assigned to the son and the parents would leave home and retire into forest. They would live a simple life of penance and austerity and there the husband and wife would live as friends. That would be another twenty-five years. In the final twenty-five years roughly where they are the what we call sannyasa ashrama or the life of renunciation. This is how a person's growth was looked upon. That young years most suited for learning, study. The uh, youthful years most suited for household. The middle-aged years most suited for retirement. The old life most suited for renunciation. This shows a maturity of the mind. So this is how the person becomes mature. And therefore, there were duties assigned according to the stage in of life also. So, do you see duties assigned to brahmachari or a student were of one kind? Duties assigned to a grihastha or a householder of a different kind? Those assigned to uh, a retired, meaning a, a retired person or vanaprastha is of a third kind. And uh, the duties for the sannyasi or the renunciate yet were of different kind. In keeping with their maturity or disposition of mind. <coughs> and this is called dharma, the order in the society, which is given to us in the form of do's and don'ts, what we should do and what we should avoid. What are the daily obligatory duties and what are the occasional or incidental obligatory duties. So they call them karma or the duties, nitya and naimittika karma, daily and incidental obligatory duties. And when people perform this, then everybody will be in harmony, in harmony with the available existing order. Because the duties assigned to the different people were in keeping with the order that exists in the universe and therefore if you follow that course of action, your life will be in harmony with the existing order. That will be the life of dharma or the righteousness. Saha dharmaha brahmanadyehi varnibihi ashramivischa shrayorthibihi anushtiyamanaha And so those people who desire welfare in their life, well-being in their life, evolution in their life, followed this dharma or this path of righteousness. <coughs> Then what happened? Shankaracharya continues further. Dirghena kalena anushthatrinam kamod bhavat. What happens is whenever there is an order and righteousness and values in a society, the society will necessarily prosper. Where there is hard work, duty, sincerity and basic values of life, that society will prosper. Because when people in general lead a righteous life, it builds that kind of an environment which automatically attracts the prosperity. As it is said in the third chapter of Gita, Annad Bhavanti Bhutani, Parjanyad Annasambhavaha, Yajnad Bhavati Parjanyaha, Yajnaha Karma Samudbhavaha. Lord Krishna points out that whole wheel of creation, how the living beings are born of food, how the food is produced from rain. And where is the rain produced from? 
the Lord Krishna says, rain is produced from yajna or sacrifice or righteousness. Because where would the rain go? Rain is a sign of prosperity. And where would prosperity be? In that society which leads a life of values. Where there is a moral code of conduct and everything else. So, where dharma is there. And therefore, there would be prosperity where dharma is. There would be suffering where adharma is. In the society which gives up all the norms and all the moral codes of conduct, that society will definitely, in course of time, invite pain and suffering. There's no question about it. No cleverness works there. There When you violate the basic order, definitely that violation is going to hurt the person who violates. And if the society violates as a whole, it is going to hurt the whole society. And that's what happened, it seems. Dirghena kalena anusthatranam. So when prosperity comes, prosperity corrupts, affluence always corrupts. Even in this country also we know that those, maybe people of 100 years or 150 years, uh, that generation was a very hard-working generation because they had to build the whole country and the society and they worked very hard. And therefore they were very successful also. The society became very prosperous also. But what is happening with the present society is that there is affluence. There is a lot of comfort and money. And people are wealthy and affluent without any effort. Children find themselves born with a silver spoon as though. And therefore there is no value for hard work. There is no value for the values. Then there is more value for pleasure. More value for comfort. So when there is affluence, the society automatically becomes comfort-seeking society. When there is value for comfort and pleasures, the values such as non-violence, etc. are going to be violated. When austerity goes away from the life, when penance goes away from life, then definitely when there is no discipline in the life, that indiscipline or adharma is going to take hold of the person and the society also. So, in a long time, as the people became prosperous and slowly and slowly they were corrupted. So, kama or this pleasure became a predominant value of the society. Artha and kama. As you know, Vedas recognize four purushartha or the four ends that a human being is seeking. Dharma, Artha, Kama and Moksha. Artha, as we have been saying, is security, comfort, name, fame, prosperity. It's called Artha. That's the first requirement. Second is Kama, which is the pleasure, happiness. And these are the natural urges of the human being, of all living beings. But then as long as these urges or desires are pursued on the basis of certain fundamental values of life, meaning when a human being pursues a certain end without compromising the means, then it is fine. So what should be the means for pursuing artha and karma? If you want wealth, comfort and pleasure, what should be the value, means, dharma or the righteous values or the means, they should be adopted as a means. So one should be honest, one should uh, be truthful, 
and one should be hardworking and whatever. If these are the values which we, want, we call dharma, a sense of duty, when these are the values, then that earth and karma or the wealth and pleasure, you can definitely enjoy. <coughs> but when pleasure becomes important, slowly and slowly dharma or righteousness loses its importance. This is a general observation. And slowly the morality or the moral code of conduct will become loose and loose. People become more and more corrupt. And hiyamana viveka vijnana hetukena that viveka or the discrimination as to what is proper and what is improper, what is right and what is wrong, that discrimination, that sense of discrimination also slowly and slowly is lost. Because as we said, that comfort always corrupts the mind. Hiyamana viveka vijnana hetukena So viveka vijnanam, that discrimination being now assaulted on account of loss of values, on account of the corruption that the comfort and prosperity brings about. Adharmena abhibhuyavane dharmena When dharma or the righteousness is overwhelmed or overpowered by the opposite of it, unrighteousness or adharma. Pravardhamane cha adharmena and adharma or the corruption grows <coughs> When there is corruption in the values, then slowly and slowly it eats away the, the moral strength, the inner strength of the society. And you find slowly and slowly the society becoming loose, corrupt and also violent. All this is also later on described in Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> Namam duskritano mudaha prapadyante naradhamaha mayaya pahritagnyanaha asuram bhavamashritaha. So, when that vivek or the sense of discrimination is robbed away from a person on account of the fascination that the world creates, slowly and slowly the values are compromised. And when you compromise a value like truthfulness, then it creates a guilt and a conflict within. And therefore, this guilt and conflicts keep on arising and increasing. And a person becomes really highly disturbed and distracted. His moral strength, you know, is definitely, uh, uh, as far as strength is concerned, the inner strength or the moral strength is concerned, he starts losing that, becomes weaker and weaker from within. And therefore the ability to follow the values also goes down. Because following values such as non-violence or truthfulness requires a certain inner strength, requires a certain sacrifice to be made by a person. And the ability to make these sacrifices and to lead a life of austerity when it goes away. Slowly and slowly the, the baser instincts of the human being, they prevail upon him. <coughs> This is a famous battle between the Pandavas and Kauravas. The famous battle between the righteous forces within and the evil forces within. There is always a battle. Sometimes the righteous forces win, sometimes the evil forces win. That's a battle between the Devatas and Asuras. But when a person gets corrupted, when the values are slowly and slowly compromised, when therefore one becomes weaker and weaker within on account of the conflicts created by them, 
then their evil forces or evil tendencies which are there, they become predominant. So says, pravardhamane ch adharme, adharma or the lower instincts, the baser values of life, they become more and more powerful. <coughs> then it's going to affect the very order of the society. Because then what happens? Violence increases, dishonesty increases, corruption increases, and it threatens the very order in the society. The very peace and order in the society is threatened. You don't require an enemy from outside. This enemy within is enough to destroy a person or even a society. So when this kind of a situation is created, and in India, in the Puranas, in the mythological literature, this situation is described again and again. Thus we find a Ravana, who is a hydra-headed demon, and he carried out such atrocities, and that everybody was tremendously harassed, distressed. The whole earth was as though burdened on account of the sinful behavior of this Ravana and his clan. And then there is a prayer on the part of some honest people who are left. That they pray to the Lord, please come down and save us. And this is symbolically shown that earth, which is burdened under the burden of the sin of this people, cannot carry that burden. Earth is strong enough to carry the burden of people. But she cannot carry the burden of sin. All this, this evil tendencies that have grown, and therefore she assumes the form of a cow and approaches the Lord and prays to the Lord to please come down on the earth. This is how it is described. And the Lord, who is desirous of maintaining this order in the creation, because otherwise the, the creation will not... If there is no dharma, if there is no righteousness, if there is no order, the society will not survive. What actually sustains the society is his dharma or the moral order. And when that moral order gets corrupted or gets broken down, definitely the society will not be able to survive. At that time, there is an interference necessary. Saha... Jagataha sthitim paribhipaleshu sa adhikarta narayana kyo vishnu Let Vishnu or Narayana or the Lord, who is the creator of this universe, who is desirous of maintaining an order in the society. Bhaumasya brahmanaha brahmanatvasya rakshanartham In order to maintain the, the, the right values, in order to support the people who are good, who are on the path of virtue. You know, to support the virtue. And how can you support the virtue? By supporting the people who follow virtue. So, Lord considers it necessary that a protection must be provided to the people who are what we call sadhus or who are on the virtuous path. So, Brahmanatvasya Rakshanartham Devakyam Vasudevat Amshena Krishna Kilasambhavua. And that Narayana or the very creator. He appeared as the son of Devaki, as Lord Krishna. And this is the story of every incarnation. Krishna is not the only incarnation. There are many incarnations described in the, in the Puranas, of which one of the most important incarnations is that of Lord Krishna, and one of the last also. <coughs> so here Shankaraja explains that what is the need for Lord Himself to be incarnated in human form in order 
एंड इन द फोर्थ चैप्टर लॉर्ड कृष्णा हिमसेल्फ विल से यदा यदा ही धर्मस्य ग्लानिर्भवति भारत अभ्युत्थानम अधर्मस्य तदात्मानम सृजाम्यहम यदा यदा ही धर्मस्य ग्लानि ही भवति व्हेन वह धर्म और राइचियसनेस व्हेन दैट डीकेस ग्लानि भवति अभ्युत्थानम अधर्मस्य च एंड आल्सो द अधर्म बिकम्स वेरी पावरफुल एंड प्रोडोमिनेंट एट सच ए टाइम आई अपीयर ऑन दिस अर्थ not only in the human form in whichever form is required and therefore according to the puranas in india lord has appeared in the past in different forms even as as half man and half lion even as a boar even as a fish even as a tortoise in different forms the lord has appeared in order to per- perform the function that was called for in that situation abhyutthanam <coughs> adharmasya तदात्मा सृजाम्यहम परित्राणा साधुना वट इज द पर्पज ऑफ दिस इनकानेशन ऑफ एन इनकानेशन परित्राणा साधुना टू प्रोटेक्ट द गुड विनाशा च दुष्कृता टू डिस्ट्रॉ द ईवल धर्म संस्थापनाय एन इन ऑर्डर टू एस्टाब्लिश धर्म ऑफ राइचियसनेस सो एज लॉन्ग एज इट इज पॉसिबल टू करेक्ट अ पर्सन सो लॉन्ग इट इज नॉट नेसेसरी टू हार्म द पर्सन but when a situation is reached when this it is beyond correction then you know the only way to protect the good is to destroy the evil and so in order to again propagate the dharma or the righteousness lord says that i take the incarnation and thus lord krishna is nothing but incarnation of lord the creator on this earth in the human form in order to perform a specific task of protection of the right the destruction of the evil and setting the chain of dharma or the righteousness into motion or to establish the righteousness brahmanatvasya hi rakshanena rakshitasya advaidiko dharma tat adhinatvat varnashana bhedanam and basically why is it that the lord only protects the righteous people he says when you protect the righteous people when you put the protect the people who are learned and who are contemplative who are devoted who are leading a life of virtue then automatically through their example and through their teaching the rest of the society also will be able to follow the life of virtue <coughs> now what is this incarnation and the fourth chapter describes it usually a birth takes place as you know very well that vedanta accepts the continuity of existence that when i was born this is not the first time i am born that it is one of a series of the embodiments that i have had in fact this series of embodiments started from the time beginningless from the time the creation began from then the every living being is in existence in one or the other embodiment and therefore this embodiment that i have is the product of all the past effects that i had myself accumulated uh, by performing variety of actions which may be of virtue of the nature of virtue or otherwise and so actions that we are performing result into effects and effect, these effects will express themselves in various situations in life and even this life that i have and this body that i have is the result of the past actions that i have performed 
And therefore, usually, the embodiment of an individual is the result of the action, a result of the combination of good and bad actions. Good actions bring about happiness, bad actions bring about unhappiness, and that's the reason why we find human life always is a mixture of pleasure and pain, happiness and unhappiness. And whoever is born is also born ignorant. Born ignorant and therefore taking the body as a self, taking the mind as a self, and therefore entertaining what we call an ego or a sense of individuality. And therefore, as prompted by the ego, as after being born also, person keeps on performing other actions, more and more actions, and producing more and more effects again, which will require that person to again get another embodiment. And this is how this whole chain of birth and death goes on. So whoever is born is born ignorant, whoever is born is born bound also. But how about the birth of Lord Krishna or what we call incarnation? Is it the result of some past actions performed by Lord? No. Because he, in fact, in spite of performing actions, he does not perform. In the ninth chapter, the Lord describes the whole process of creation. That by wielding my maya or the creating power, I bring, for, I bring forth the whole creation into existence. And in spite of all these, the creation that is brought forth by me and sustained by me, I do not get tainted or affected by any of these actions. Because in spite of apparently doing all these things, creating the world, sustaining it, in, even in destroying it, my role is, I am like an uninvolved witness. Because in my presence alone, all the actions go on. In my presence is prakriti of the nature, creates, sustains and destroys. And thus the whole drama of the creation, sustenance and destruction of the universe goes on in the presence of Lord, without any, any will on that part or any sense of doership on the part of the Lord. And therefore, Lord does not perform any action because there is no doership there. There is no sense of individuality. So it's not that Lord Krishna is born in order to experience the effects of certain action that he has performed in the past. That's not so. And therefore, the embodiment of what we call incarnation is somewhat different from the embodiment of an ordinary human being. Whereas ordinary human birth is a product of the past actions. That whoever is born is born ignorant and limited in every way. Lord, when he takes the incarnation, it is not like that, meaning he is not born ignorant, he is born omniscient and he is born without any limitations at all. So this embodiment is not really a, a true embodiment for Lord Krishna. Although he appears to the eyes of the common people like an embodied person, like an embodied soul, but then he, he is free from any of the limitations that the embodiment may place. The idea is that incarnation is, retains all the glories and all the Ishwarya, all the powers that the Lord has in spite of appearing to be limited in a form such as a human form. And therefore, Lord Krishna, the incarnation, is not a limited human being, is not even an enlightened human being or anything. He is God in a primary sense. That's why he said, such a Bhagavan 
ज्ञानेश्वरि शक्ति बलवीर्य तेजो भी सदा संपन्न है दैट लॉर्ड कृष्ण ऑलवेज एंड ऑलवेज द सिक्स फोल्ड भग और द सिक्स फोल्ड ग्लोरी ज्ञान ही पोसेस इज नॉलेज इन एब्सोल्यूट मेजर ऐश्वर्य पोसेस इज ओवर लॉर्डशिप शक्ति पोसेस ऑल द स्ट्रेंथ बलम पोसेस ऑल द पावर वीर्यम पोसेस ऑल द प्रोवेस Tejo Abhi. So he possesses all of these abilities in absolute measure. So he is not a human being, a limited human being. He is God himself. But appearing as a human being in order to accomplish a certain purpose. And when that purpose is accomplished, then he departs from here. This is the principle of incarnation. Which the Vedantins accept. Vedantins accept the principle of incarnation, meaning Lord or God himself appearing in a given form. Trigonatmikam Vaishnavim Swamayam Mulaprakradim Vashikratya. How does he appear in the form? He has this Maya, the creative power with which he has created the whole universe. By wielding that creative power, he assumes a particular form. In this case, a human form. Ajaha Abhyayaha Bhutanam Ishwaraha Nitya Shuddha Buddha Mukta Swahava Pisan Swamaya Dehavani Vajatahai Dehavani Vajatahai Vacha Lokanugraham Kurvan Iva Lakshate. Even though in fact he is Ajaha unborn, Abhyayaha not subject to any modification or change. Bhutanam Ishwaraha, he is the lord of all the beings. Nitya Shuddha Buddha Mukta Svabhavaha, he is ever pure, ever enlightened, ever free. In spite of his being so, in spite of there being no reason to be born, in spite of the fact that a lord such as this cannot really be born in a primary sense, but wielding his maya or the creative power, Dehavan Iva, he appears as though possessed of an embodiment. Jatahaiva, he appears as though being born. He appears as though going through different stages of life. He appears as though being born and performing various actions and departing or dying. So these kind of actions and these kind of modifications do seem to appear in that embodiment. But in fact, Lord as such is free from all these modifications he is free from birth, death, growth or any other modifications. And therefore, the birth that we see is an apparent birth. The growth that the Lord Krishna also grows from a child to a youth and to a young man. All that growth also is just an appearance. He also seems to die. That is also an appearance. That's the reason why all the actions performed by the incarnation are called Leela. They are called the sport. They are not in the primary sense. Like a human being willfully or deliberately performs an action. And behind the action there is a sense of doership. That kind of doership is not there in any action. Even though he appears to be performing all the actions, in reality he does not perform any action at all. In that sense a wise man also is comparable to incarnation. But the difference is, the incarnation, as we said, is God in the primary sense and therefore he possesses all those virtues in absolute sense, whereas the wise man continues to be limited by the embodiment. 
and so far as the upadi bheda there is a distinction as far as the upadi or the embodiment is concerned <coughs> what for does he appear in a given form lokanugraham kurvan ivalakshade he seems to be performing many tasks in order to bless the people in order to bless the society in order to serve the society as though does he have something to accomplish svaprayojana abhave api bhutanu jigrukshaya svaprayojana abhave api even though he has nothing to achieve or accomplish because he is perfect bhutanu jigrukshaya only out of anugraha or compassion for the beings only out of compassion for the human beings or compassion for the living beings he appears as incarnation and lord krishna also thus appeared as incarnation and then what did he do vaidikam hi dharmadvayam arjunaya upadidesha this very same dharma that is taught in the vedas and what is that dharma the twofold dharma what is the twofold dharma the path of pravritti and the path of nivritti the dharma involving activity or engagement and the dharma involving renunciation the pursuit of what we call the material prosperity and the pursuit of what we call the spiritual prosperity these are the two dharmas or the two modes of life and that is what is described in the vedas and lord krishna taught through bhagavad gita that very same truth or the very same dharma that is taught in the vedas the twofold dharma the path of pravritti and the path of nivritti which is taught in the vedas is the very same thing that lord krishna taught to arjuna what was the condition of arjuna at that time shok moha mahodadhu nimagnaya as we will see at this at that time arjuna was completely submerged in the ocean of shoka and moha in grief and delusion arjuna was completely immersed or submerged as a matter of fact or drowning in the ocean of grief and delusion so arjuna was completely overpowered by grief and delusion and to such an arjuna upadesha lord krishna imparted this teaching of the twofold dharma the twofold path that is taught in the vedas how come lord krishna chose arjuna to impart this knowledge gunadhikaihi grahitah anusthiyamanah cha dharmah prachayam why don't you read later on read the book later on this class is for listening you know not reading gunadhikaihi grahitah anusthiyamanah cha dharmah prachayam gamishyati iti the reason why arjuna was selected because arjuna was a very capable person because he was a person of who had led the life of righteousness and also person with a great inner strength and also a man of great accomplishments a person possessing all the qualities of leadership and that's the reason why arjuna was chosen for imparting this knowledge gunadhikaihi because when this knowledge is given to someone who is worthwhile then alone prachayam gamishyati then alone that knowledge really will expand meaning will go to other people if this knowledge is given to the people who are other incapable themselves then all that effort will be wasted or this will not really find the place where i mean will not go to the right people 
It's not that Lord Krishna can teach the whole society. He can teach one person. But if there is the right person, then through him that knowledge also will ultimately go to the society. And that's the reason why it is necessary that a right kind of person is selected. And that's why Arjuna was selected. There were two reasons why Arjuna was selected. Arjuna needed this himself very much. At the same time, Arjuna was fit instrument for imparting this knowledge because he would become the medium ultimately for the spread of this knowledge to the society. Because only one person gets the knowledge, it is not going to save the society. The whole society should get the knowledge. For which this person will become the instrument or a vehicle in order to spread this knowledge to the rest of the society. And thus Lord Krishna found Arjuna a fit person. Gunadikaihi grihitah anusthiyamanascha dharmaha When someone who possesses the virtues, when he receives this knowledge and implements the knowledge. It's not that we hear this and then we remain intact as we were. For years together we do listen to Vedanta all right, but no change at all. I remain what I am for years together. It's like pouring water on a stone, you know. Stone remains unaffected totally. And similarly you keep on pouring things upon person, you know, and remains unaffected. That doesn't bless. When we hear this and when we understand this, then there must be an enthusiasm and a commitment to implement it in our life. Then alone it will bless me. So Arjuna was a very sincere person also, very honest and eager person, eager to learn and eager to imbibe that in his life. Then alone that person can serve as an illustration to others. Because we merely talk, it's not going to impress people. They will, they will want to see it in action also. And serve for the person who gains the knowledge as well as makes it a in his own life, then that person will become the fit instrument for spreading of this knowledge to the others who need this. And that is how this knowledge is Dharma of the righteousness will be established and the society will prosper again. <coughs> so really speaking, the main task of Lord Krishna, according to the Vedantins, is Bhagavad Gita. That he taught Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna and that was the greatest blessing for the mankind. So Arjuna, a, a very beautiful verse describes, one of the verses that we chant in invocation. Sarvopanishadogavaha togdha gopalanandanaha parso vatsaha sudhir bhokta dugdham gita mrutamahat. Says, imagine that all the Upanishads are the various cows. Compare Upanishad with a cow. And there are number of Upanishads. And therefore, there are number of cows. The Lord Krishna is comparable to a cowherd boy who milks these cows. Because milking a cow also is an operation that requires certain skill. Here of course it's all done by machine, I guess no skill is required. But in India, where things are so not so mechanized, there to milk a cow would require a lot of skill. Otherwise cow will, if a person is stranger, the cow will not allow him to milk. It is necessary that you must have a certain relationship with the cow. If the cow knows that this person loves me, if you serve the cow, if you love the cow, if you look after it, then alone the cow will allow you to milk, otherwise it will not. And so, 
Who can be more competent than Lord Krishna who was brought up as a cowherd boy? And perhaps you might know this, this basic story of Lord Krishna that actually he was, he was born in a prison, would you believe? His parents are imprisoned because of the threat that the son of this couple is going to kill a king who was, he was a very evil person. And therefore, that evil king had imprisoned the parents of Lord Krishna. And therefore, he was born in prison at midnight. And then his father got the message, he got the instruction that if you take this child and, and, and take him away to another place, otherwise he'll be killed. And so at midnight, the father in a basket carries the child on his head and crosses the river Yamuna and goes across the river. He was born in a place called Mathura, which is on one bank of the river Yamuna. He crosses the river Yamuna and goes to Gokul, which is another village at the other end of the bank of the river. And thus, this father, whose name is Vasudeva, he carries the child in the basket. At midnight, at dark midnight, it is raining, I mean, this, that there is a flood in that river and he has to cross that river. And he crosses the river and the water has come right up to his shoulder as a matter of fact. And he would have been drowned, except that the water came up to the shoulder, up to the nose, sort of, you know, up to the chin, and stopped there. That's how the story is. And he was able to cross the river. And the child was placed at the, uh, there was another, uh, there was a cowherd village there, this Gokul. And there was a chief of that cowherd village. And the wife of that chief had given birth to a daughter. So there is an exchange. The son is placed there and the daughter is brought here. This is the story. And that is how, even though Krishna was the son actually of a Kshatriya and a king, he was brought up as a cowherd boy. So from the childhood he was skilled and well versed in the art of milking the cows, of tending the cows and milking the cows. So they say that imagine the Upanishads are various cows. And Lord Krishna is a cowherd boy who milks the very essence of all the Upanishads. You know what is an Upanishad? It is nothing but the essence of the Vedas. And there are so many Upanishads. Each one of them talks about the subject matter of the Upanishad is to reveal the nature of the knowledge of the self. And so, what Lord Krishna did was to milk the cows of the Upanishads. And thus, and when would you, as I said, you must be skilled in the art of milking the cow. Lord Krishna is not only a milk, milk cow herd boy in that sense, but is also skilled in the art of milking or getting the essence of all the Upanishads. As a teacher, he can be compared to a, a cow herd boy, that as a teacher, he could actually get the essence from all the various Upanishads. And another requirement for milking the cow is, that the cow always will give milk for the calf. Cow doesn't give milk for you and I. Cow always gives milk for the calf. And out of love, they, they actually, they describe that in, in Bhagavatam. That when the cows used to go, we were taken for grazing to the grazing ground in the morning. And when they were returned in the afternoon and the evening, to again this, uh, this village, then the cows would run because of their calves. And therefore, they would run to meet their calves. And as soon as the cow sees a calf, even from a distance, the, the milk starts flowing through the udder of the cow. 
There is so much amount of love in the cow that the milk starts flowing from the udder, just looking at the calf. So the relationship is one of love. And thus cow actually gives milk out of love for the calf. So calf is the nimitta or the reason why the cow gives the milk. <coughs> Except that a very small portion of that milk goes to the calf and rest of the milk is consumed by other people. This is the usual thing. So it says, Parsovatsaha Sudhir Bhokta. Here the calf is in the form of all the Upanishad. Lord Krishna, the teacher, is comparable to a cowherd boy who is an expert in milking the essence of all the Upanishads. And who is a calf? Who becomes the cause for the cow to give milk? Or he becomes the cause for the cowherd boy to milk the cows? That calf is Arjuna himself. Partho This Arjuna is compared to the calf. Upanishads are compared to the cows. Lord Krishna is compared to the cowherd boy. Arjuna is compared to the calf. And therefore, out of love, Dugdham Gita Amrutamhat and the milk that we have. What is that milk? This very Bhagavad Gita is that that immortal the milk, the ambrosia. The, the ambrosia, Dugdham Gita Amrutam. This ambrosia of Bhagavad Gita is really that great milk, that most exalted milk which Lord Krishna milked from the cow of the Upanishads for the purpose of calf, namely Arjuna. But then, as we said, calf is merely an occasion or a nimitta or an instrument. And the people who really benefit from the milk are the other people. Sudhihi Bhokta. All the people of pure heart, all the seekers of knowledge are really the enjoyers of the milk of Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> So even though Lord Krishna is teaching Arjuna, apparently, he has in mind the whole society. It is not that the teaching is imparted merely to Arjuna, but Arjuna became the occasion for imparting the teaching, which teaching was meant for the mankind in general. And therefore, you must see here, the whole Bhagavad Gita is a dialogue, which is, uh, which, which has its basis in love. Just as a cow gives milk for the calf out of love. And so also this teaching of Bhagavad Gita is imparted by Lord Krishna to Arjuna out purely out of love and compassion. There is compassion in the heart because he finds Arjuna grieving. Says several times in Bhagavad Gita also. Bhakto Sime Sakhacheti Rahasyam Hetaduttamam. Here, Arjuna, I have imparted this great secret to you. This knowledge which is secret, which is coming down to us in the parampara of the tradition of the great kings and the great teachers, and which tradition has been essentially broken down because of this loss of values in the society, that very same knowledge I am imparting to you today, because you are my friend and my devotee. Therefore, at the end also in the 18th chapter, Lord says, Ishtosime dhridamidi tato vakshyami tehitam. Dhridam ishtosi. You are extremely dear to me. And therefore again I will give you the summary of the whole teaching. And thus Lord Krishna in so many words makes it clear that Arjuna is the one who is extremely dear to him. 
and Arjuna also expresses his great reverence and devotion and surrender to Lord Krishna as a teacher. And that is how we have the teaching of Bhagavad Gita, which is a dialogue full of love, coming from a heart of the teacher, where there is love and compassion and kindness. And where there is a calf or a student who receives that, and Arjuna says that in the 10th chapter. Bhūyaha vistarenātmano yogam vibhūtimcha mahātmana bhūyaha kasayatruptirihi shrunvato nāsti memrutam. In the 10th chapter at one point Arjuna says, O Lord, please describe in all the detail your glories and your abilities and your greatness. Please describe to me. I want to hear them in great detail. Lord Krishna says, I have been describing to you all this time. What else have I been talking? He says, yes, bhūya kathaya, you've been telling me all right. But then, I'm just listening to the nectar of the words. I'm listening to the nectar in the form of the words coming from your mouth. And I just cannot be content at all. And therefore, I want to hear more and more of it. Just as we drink the nectar and how we can never be satisfied. And so also Arjuna says that I'm listening to the nectar of your teaching. And I find myself discontent again. And therefore, I want to have more and more of it. So Arjuna is a worthy disciple. Tatteham priyamanaya tato vakshyami hitakamya. Lord Krishna says, I see on your face a great joy. I see that you are highly pleased by my, my, my discourse. And therefore, even without your asking, I am going to tell you again in greater detail. See, you have to see the dialogue of Bhagavad Gita to see how the teacher himself is enthused, looking at the student who he sees just happy and enjoying the thing and, and, and consuming like he is consuming nectar. So thus, the student is a worthy student who keeps, he makes the teacher so happy by his very response. And teacher is the one, not the fellow who are reading, you know, he is teaching something, then somebody is looking else, you know, not that kind of stupid thing. But then, when the, when the teacher finds that the student is really enjoying it, he is interested. And then alone there is an enthusiasm and then alone there is, uh, you know, any encouragement on the part of the teacher to impart this. And thus Arjuna is a worthy student. Many of us come here, doze off here, look here, there, totally disinterested, wondering what's happening here, when is it going to be over and stuff like that. I mean, it is just horrible. So understand that when we are students or when we are listening, it calls for a certain sense of responsibility uh, on our part. Just as the teacher also has a role to play and a responsibility to fulfill, the student also has a responsibility. The listener also has a responsibility to become a fit listener. So that the speaker or the teacher also has the encouragement, enthusiasm and feels that what he's doing is worthwhile. You know, has some, it serves some purpose. It's not like pouring water on the stone, you know, that it is no effect at all. But anyway, that is not the case with the dialogue of Bhagavad Gita. It is a dialogue between Lord Krishna and Arjuna where we see all throughout a great eagerness on the part of the student and a great love and compassion on the part of the teacher. And therefore, it was a very beautiful combination. That's the reason why Lord Krishna gave this teaching to Arjuna. And Arjuna, of course, needed it very badly. At the same time, he also exhibited other capabilities of the one 
who has that ability, the enthusiasm and the energy to learn and imbibe the teaching and also become an illustration for others so that this teaching also will, will be expanded to the rest of the society. <coughs> okay, we'll continue tomorrow. Om Puranamadaf Puranamidam Puranat Puranamudachyade Puranasya Puranamadaya Puranameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaham Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om